like the last thing I saw you on was like the Paul Simon tribute. Yeah. What a player you are. Thanks for saying like, that. What song did you sing him to? I did a couple. I did one with Bonnie. I did. But what uh, was the song? Because I know everything. I did Kodachrome. Kodachrome. Which was a blast. Like open the show, right? Yeah. And then you did another one? A slow one? Yeah, I played guitar for Bonnie and sang harmony on Bonnie Raitt, did uh, Something So Right, which is, uh, it's a jazz song. That's just. You know who does an amazing cover of that is Barbara Streisand. Oh, I bet. Did you know that? No, I've never heard that. It's on the Way We Were album. Oh, wow. I should look that up. You absolutely have to. Because the thing about Paul, it's so funny. All of us backstage, we were all shitting a brick because, like, here's Kodachrome that all of us know. We know it by heart, right? Except until you try to play it, and there's a three-bar phrase, and then, there's a, and then it's a five-bar phrase the second time before it goes into the chorus. And it's so intricate and crazy the way he would write. I think he would like try to screw with bands that wanted to cover his material and make it too hard for anybody to play. I, it's funny you say that because I remember reading, and I'm a huge Paul Simon fan, Me but too. sometimes people can be so good and so far advanced in what they're doing yeah. that they can get a little ahead of the parade where the regular people are. Oh, yeah. He's living in another planet. I mean, Paul is such I know, but a you genius. Gotta, you can't remember where the parade is. Well, but what's crazy is he's made a career of doing that exact thing and everyone loves it and wants more. And I don't think anybody else has gotten away with being well, that brilliant for that long. I couldn't agree more. I mean, honestly, and I love some of the album, like, like uh, the two in the early 80s were flops and they're my favorites. Uh, One Trick Pony. One Trick Pony's great. Which is another very jazzy because yeah. it's that kind of, he, it's about a band on the road. Yeah, and all the songs. It's almost reminds me of Jackson Brown's Running on Empty album, yes. which they recorded in hotel rooms right. and on the bus. And it sounds it was nineteen seventy seven. It still sounds amazing, and that was the feel of One Trick Pony because right. he was a singer in a band. Yeah, you know, and he had a hit. Totally. But it wasn't. But now his career wasn't going. It never really took off. I love it when he does the sort of premise, almost what I'd call, uh, it's like a soundtrack. It's like he creates characters in a fictional movie around the album. He just sent me his new record last week, which is just about to come out. So we're on here to plug Paul now, which is great. Let's do it. <laughs> but it's called Seven Psalms, and he's so, like you say, ahead of the parade, it's one file. It is 33 minutes, no breaks. You can only hear the whole thing. Yeah, see, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I loved it. And and, but yeah, like, but you're a musician. The way he is, he's. I talked to him about it this week. I said, so what, how did you do this? And he said, I said, what about the presentation on this and how's that going to work for people? He said, I don't care. It's how it's supposed to be presented. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know what, what I was going to say is I remember reading an interview with him maybe like, you know, this century, like 10 years ago or something, and he was talking something about like there were tonal deep like gradations that we hadn't been aware right. of. Right. And I remember like, I, I, first of all, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like I'm just the, right. I'm the, I'm the consumer here, you know? And for so long I felt, and look, there's stuff he's put out in this century that I do still like, but it, it's not, he, I, I feel like the commercial, the, he, he hit that sweet spot between it's commercially just fantastic, but also original. Yeah, yeah, and for sure, it's nothing is formulaic. I mean, some of these songs. The other album that was did not do well. I don't think in the early '80s was Hearts and Bones, right? Which is an amazing record. It's amazing. The title song. Oh, oh, I mean, remember the late great Johnny Ace? Do you remember that song he wrote yes. when John Lennon died? That's right. Oh, I know. And but he's like, and it's so funny when you talk to him too about this stuff. It's so. Interesting, because what you're doing is you're discussing, a friend of mine and I were talking about it the other day, you're discussing the theory of relativity with Einstein, and, and but meanwhile, Einstein wants to know what you think. <laughs> it's so interesting, because it's like, it, you're so far advanced ahead of us, it doesn't matter what we think. It's, it's wild. <laughs> well, I think you're being a little modest. I, I, I mean, you, like this. What's it, what is that, a regular cigar? Cigar. Oh, cigar. you smoke cigars? I do. Somehow. I never understood the point, Brad. <laughs> what, I mean, you don't inhale it, right? No, you don't. If you're inhaling it, 
you're doing it. You're doing it. Wait, your your life is gonna. You're gonna regret you're, it. You have bigger problems. Yeah, than, no, it's okay. Not. So you don't inhale it. So no. you're not getting that thing that we feel in our throats or that no. we like for some reason, and right. it stinks, and it doesn't get you high. Tell me where the good part of this is. Uh, now you're making me rethink the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm committed. I don't know. You look good doing it. You definitely look good. I think it's... How old are you? You, you look like you're late 30s, and I bet you you're older, because I know you had records out like... I shouldn't even out myself. 25 years ago. I'm 50 now. 50? You're 50? Wow. Tell my wife I don't look 50. She says I do. She's wrong. Well, see, this is what I don't get about marriage. Like, <laughs> why, why? Like, You think I could say that to her? No. <laughs> In but reverse, like, I definitely couldn't. Like, married people, they get to this place where they say mean things to each other, and it's just sort of accepted. I don't get it. It's, the, it's basically every married couple becomes Don Rickles. <laughs> and, and really, you know, and they each take their turns. Yeah, for sure. If it, if it works, how long have you been married? Twenty years. Twenty years. It was twenty years in March. That's. Well, I mean, to an actress. Right. It's impossible. We basically we're way past the deadline, on it. No, I think you've passed the difficult part. Oh yeah. <laughs> what what, <laughs> what is the difficult part? The difficult part is is sort of like you start the journey and then I think you either find out you're compatible or you've made a huge mistake. And right. in my case, we found out we were completely compatible, especially as, it, as, it, as time went on. Oh. And you either evolve together or, or it doesn't work, I wow. think. And in our case, um, yeah, I mean, and we were both older. We were in our 30s before we got married, so. That, or, you know, I was 30 when I got married, so. <laughs> That's hysterical. You consider that older. Older than uh, Glendale, West Virginia, where I'm from? Yes. Uh, yeah. All of my high school friends were married and divorced well, by the time I was married. Having never gotten married, I'm way behind the uh, <laughs> <laughs> And it works here. for you. Look at this cave. I don't even want to say man cave. It's a cave. Right. It's the best. Actually, thank you. It's, a, it's actually a, it really is a nightclub. It doesn't seem it when the music's not on. But I'd love to get you here sometime when we can play. Let's do that. That'd be oh, great. Oh, please. Um, I would love that. What about when you're, st like, if you're at a party and your song comes on, is it embarrassing? Is it like, I don't uh, hear I, that I'd be, shit. Really? I, I, oh, yeah. Yeah, I never watch myself either. T to me, it's like, also, I mean, any music that's on when we're eating dinner or anything, my mind is going there. It'd be like if they put on a comedy record and you're trying to eat. Exactly. Even if it's not you, even if it's Ex somebody you just especially idolize. Especially if it's not me. Right. But this, yeah. <laughs> but me too. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I agree. It's a what they call a busman's holiday. I it guess is. that's back when people used to take a bus to take a holiday. <laughs> so the busman, right. it was not really a good gig for him to go. Right, on, of course. Know. But uh, no, I couldn't agree more. I. I but I must say, like, <clears throat> a lot of you really good country guys, I like the old, the more the years go on, I like better because I feel like, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like you start out a little too country for me, yeah, you know, from you. my <laughs> New Jersey ears. Yeah. There's just a kind of a twangy part of it. The lyrics of country songs are, are the cleverest. They can and, be. And rap. Yeah, it's that's interesting too. they have that in common. Rap and country, both a real premium on lyrics that I think is very often, not always, of course, but very often absent in pop. You can put out a pop record yeah. with really horrible lyrics. The Beatles did it many times. Well, and it's, yeah, it's funny. They did, and then we all want to do that. But it's like they... Well, the music was so good, no one cared. No, it didn't matter. And rap and country are kissing cousins, um... In country, we're really doing it. But no, I, I've heard rappers <laughs> say that to me. They say like, there's a lot of things in common, like, you know, the tour bus is full of your cousins. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's a very kind of a family thing, and yeah, you know, I mean. And in country, those are your groupies. Your cousins. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I. It's yeah. an incest joke. There'll no, be a few I, of those right. tonight. You'll hear a few. Yeah. Well, you're, you're from West Virginia, right? Yes. Okay. 
That's the state that when comedians go to an incest joke, right? That's you know that's the state they. What's funny about us from that state is we're like people would think we'd be offended, but we find it funny. I'm sure you do. We totally do. Yeah, and the thing I was saying about like the music—it's not again the, the lyrics are always clever. I mean, you have some very clever. You know, like, um, what's that one, Time Well Wasted? Isn't that a record? Isn't that a, okay. That's such a clever saying. I mean, I wish I thought of that, Time Well Wasted. It's, it's, it's perfect. There's three words. The best, it says everything. The best country songs fit on a T-shirt. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the hook of the song, like in some, in some ways, not always, but that sort of idea of it's like punchline payoff and it's, it's definitely kin to stand up. A little bit. It, it really is. Punchy, I mean, in, I think in every art form, punchy is better. You know, I think mo the problem more artists have than any other problem is they do not know how to be their own editor. Yeah, they do right. not know how to kill their children. Yeah. You have to kill your children. I'm sure when you make a record, and, and there's 12 cuts on it. I'm sure you made more, right? For sure, in fact- and you I'm, threw some away. I'm neck deep right now in that, like trying to figure out what's on this next album. Um, I think I have it figured out, but it's still a matter of, does it fit the vision? And you really wanna make sure with what you're doing that, like I never like to do albums that are just, like these are the songs that I wrote during this time period and some of them don't fit the theme. Like I, I feel like it's always gotta have a little bit of a through line. Um, because a great song, well, you can wait. You could wait an album or two if it doesn't fit stylistically where you're headed. And I think, uh, but that's, I'm a dinosaur because I still care about that. It, right now, it's you song are, at a time. You are, but I'm a dinosaur too. I like the album format, you know? Me too. And like, there's probably, you know, I would say, maybe a hundred albums in my entire collection, and I have, I'm a meticulous curator right. of, this goes back, I mean, I started listening in the late 60s. My early favorites are from when I was 12 years old in 1968, so that's when I first was into music. Yeah. But that's some amazing music from 68, 69, oh, 70. Yeah. Okay, so, um, and then the 70s, 80s, 90s, I feel like the DJ in my car. Right. <laughs> Greatest hits of today. But of all the decades, there's maybe a hundred albums where I would say the album is good all the way through. Yeah. As opposed to like, oh, and that's why I love the old iPod because I like to like take just the songs I like. Right. Like I will, I still like download albums because I feel like people should get paid. I don't want to, you know. Uh, I agree. I totally <laughs> oh, I'm sure agree. you do. Well, and it, even not not in my standpoint, it's like it's still about, it really is about these people that worked on them and, and also just the idea the art existed in that way and it's just, it does feel like a, a butcher cutting these things up from time to time. But, I, you know, the old country stuff to me, when, you know, you're talking about that old stuff, that's what I was raised on. I was raised on... George of Jones, course. And I can Merle Haggard, Buck Owens, all that. And right, and there's, I don't know what <laughs> instrument it is, but there's some instrument <laughs> that makes me just think of that fucking kid from Deliverance. Well, uh, there's banjo. All, <laughs> there's always, he well, was playing the a banjo. And banjo, fiddle, there's something else, and it's just kind of I know what I know which one you're talking about, <laughs> and my steel guitar player is gonna crack up, because it's steel guitar. <laughs> and all I can see is that fucking kid sitting on the porch, <laughs> carving his name in his feet, you yes. know. Yes. <sighs> Well, but, in, in the sense of the steel guitar, it's funny, every time we, and we make these jokes, like anytime in soundcheck, I'll, I'll literally do this. I'll say, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be like, I'm like, they're like, what, what boss, what? It's like, that dead cat squeal. Yes. They're, I'm kidding, and, and, I'm always just teasing. And you make them call you boss? Oh yeah. <laughs> you should, you're a boss. Um, that's so funny. But like when, what I was thinking was that like, and then as time goes on, I feel like country stars very often um, 
move closer to my area, like the guitars yes. are well, more electric. You, you, we lose the twang. Yeah. It still has the best of country. And you have songs like that. I mean, well, that, I was I, like, the on, one you did with LL Cool J. Yes. Which is really quite a. I mean, I mean we, quite ahead of its time, too, well, a little bit, because when you think about... Yeah, when you go back to that... maybe that, behind. I don't know if they'd even do it today. Cause they it wouldn't would, do it. No, I too mean... Too sensitive about... It was, a, it was a third rail, and it that was an album, and, and this is a great case for an album where I wanted the album to be a collection of things that are not expected, where you're out on that limb, and that was one. And what's ironic about that song was it was an album cut and got so much attention. I had a number one song in country music that week that had nothing to do with that, but that was the ticker on CNN. I remember seeing it, and LL and I were doing Well, yeah, if you put, out a, and, put out a song called Accidental Racist yeah. with a uh, yeah. giant African-American music star. Yes, one of the pioneers, obviously, of, of rap, and what was interesting about how that came about, too, was essentially he and I, I had this idea to play characters in the song, to be, to be um, I wanted to be the Southerner wearing the Skinner shirt right. saying, <laughs> saying, but that was before, like, Dylan Roof shot people with, right. in a church. And it was before there was the debate about all of the Confederate monuments and all of these things. We were ahead of this thing that was about to happen and had no idea. But in the sense, in that sense, what I tried to do on that was go on the journey and let people say to me, here is the issue we're having, especially in LL's camp where, you know, the African-American community wanted to talk about why they did not like it that we were talking about this and what we said or whatever it was. And that was such a great, it was a crazy time and it was a hard thing to be misunderstood. But at the same time, we set out to learn. We set out to do that with that song, and in, in the end, I guess that's what art does. But it was it, crazy. Exactly. Crazy for me, as you can imagine. And it's also what democracy does. I would and think. And it's also what has to happen in multiracial societies. I yes. feel like wokeness, in many ways, set us back. There's an uh, interesting thing I, about the woke culture thing that a friend of mine who's a psychologist told me, that this is, a, this is an interesting comparison because I understand the, the need for the progress. I've always loved on your show when you talk about celebrating the progress. We don't take the time to do that, to celebrate it. But in the wokeness sense, there's things about when woke goes off the rails, it's when they lean towards being a cult themselves. And that is where right. they, it's got, you gotta repent, you gotta do this. And a religion. Gotta, yeah, there's John sort McWhorter, of, African American, I love him, he's a genius, he's on my show as much as I can get him, he's a professor, but he wrote a whole book about that, the, the religion of anti-racism. Right. You know, he talked, there's an original sin, you know, you're born with whiteness and, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, we went to such a ridiculous place with this. We were, I felt like, look, we're always in a process of healing, but like Obama was a truly great moment. Did it solve everything? Of course not. But could we just, you know, if we just like stayed where with what he was saying, he became a star in 2004 at the Democratic Convention when he made the big speech. Now it's somewhat uh, fanciful, but it's hopeful. You know, he said, we are not black Americans and United and white Americans. We are not Latino states and there's not red states and blue states. We are the United States. And like, yes, he was like, here I am, half black, half white. I kind of am representing where this country is going. We have to live together. There's no reason to hate each other. There is reason to hate what people in the past did and some people in the present, yes, but right. not all. And now I feel like yeah. it's just, there's this people walking on eggshells and for, for races, which of course are continually intermarrying more. I mean, it's happening if, whether, they, they're, there are lots of segregated dorms on colleges and you can try, but it's happening. People are still coming together as they should. And I felt like we were at a better place in the sense that we used to be able to talk about it more, like your song, joke about it more. People become asshole buddies when they joke with each other. Now I feel like we're at this place where, oh no, 
I, I, that's funny and I think he'd laugh, but I better not. Right, and I think... Because if it goes wrong... I definitely think that's, <clears throat> that's the path forward for all of us is finding the humor and the forgiveness. And, and that's got to happen. I mean, as I look at... Like I've talked about... I, I said this to some friends of mine about, you know, when it comes to trans rights and people trying to become um, more accepted, they're missing the modern family moment. They're missing that... Thing right. where, because I, I look, I came from West Virginia. I did not know a single person who was out of the closet in West Virginia, but before I moved to Tennessee, not one. And I don't, I don't think I did living in New Jersey either. And of course, I'm a little older than you, but you know, I mean, people keep to their tribes, and especially back in that day. I mean, to this day, I really don't know a trans person, and that's not because well, I'm, I do. I'm, I'm not trying to avoid them. I just right. feel like we, we obviously you know, don't travel in the same circles, but I'd be perfectly open to being friends with anybody. I've got, a, I've got a few, and the thing about that is that when I think back to when I moved to town in Tennessee and started this journey of being a music artist, here comes Ellen doing what she did for, for gay rights and, and people becoming like, right. oh, wow, I, you know, this is, this is, she's funny and I... I really like her, and the next thing you know, here's Will and Grace. But then Modern Family, I had the most conservative friends of mine watch Modern Family, and their favorite two characters were were Mitch and um, uh, Cam, the you know the, the Eric Stone Street, and and it was it was the type of thing where you would they would tune in every week to see that couple, and that moment, the next thing you know, we all woke up one day, uh, and it, it was everybody seemed for that, and I. It's no coincidence that art had taken us there as oh, a society. TV specifically. TV, and I feel TV, like when TV shows people something, yeah, it normalizes it for good and bad. It yeah. normalized Donald Trump, yeah, but it also normalized. You're right, game Will and Grace. You know, it's like oh, it's and this is interesting that you know your friends would relate most to the to the gay characters, which. Tells and me they, your friends are probably gay. They, <laughs> I'll let them know. <laughs> but it's like that. It's like they they thought, oh man, I understand the things this couple is going through, you know. And of course, because yeah, and that's the you know the overarching point of this whole discussion we're having is that, you know, it, it's not impossible to get to the place, right? Even with our horrible, sorry racial history and our sorry history to women and to every fucking person, I, I get it, except the white men. Um, yeah. It's not impossible to get to a place now where we recognize we actually have more in common. You know, For sure. there, there was a time when we didn't, where white people and black people had so little in common because, of course, the oppression, the horrible oppression that was visited upon them. So, you you know, you couldn't even, in, in the South, you couldn't look a white person in the eye walking down the street. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you don't, don't have anything in common with that person. Now, we're all in line together at Starbucks and we're doing this and we're doing, you know. Yeah. There are still problems. Yes, of course. Nothing will ever be perfected. But I keep saying, can we just live in the year we're living in? Can we not go by these zombie lies, you know, which are lies that, something that's been debunked. It comes back to but celebrating you're still, you're still how far we've come. Alive. Yeah, right. And let's not pretend that we're in 1958 yeah. or 78. Let's just live in the year we're living in, acknowledge that there's work to be done, and... Um, Buy your record. <laughs> no, you know, Wiz Khalifa's coming here. Is he really? After, after I'm done with you, Brad. <laughs> That's going to be just after. like this. It'll be exactly. Oh, also, speaking of music, Spotify put us on a video now. We were just. Oh, that's great. We were just. <laughs> it, it is. No, it? that's great. Yeah. Because yeah. we I've were been just watching the video we... version of this on Apple. Yes. A lot. It's, I feel, feel like it's much better to see it because, you know. I don't know if you saw Richard Dreyfus, but I did. Okay, that was you have to see that one to believe. Sinking it. into the chair as it like I thought I, the chair know, was eating Richard Dreyfus. When I did Dreyfus. this, when I started this, I said, I want to find a place <laughs> where I can make the guest feel 
even more comfortable. Of course, it's always the host's wish to make the guests up, but I want to take it to a new level, and I feel with that episode I did. I, I mean, I feel like... You definitely did. That I learned more about Richard Dreyfuss than I ever I wanted to know. What can I do to make you more comfortable, Brad Paisley? Can I? Um, you don't smoke the wacky weed anymore? I don't, almost, I've never done it. Ne- oh, come on. I've never, never? done it. This is not the day. Ne- <laughs> 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 Actually, I would be a very good one to get stoned with for the first time. First, first of all, 45 years of experience. Yes, for sure. Okay, that's something. Uh, I, I, we're here in a place where we could get help if you freaked out or something, which I don't think would happen. Which on I pot. definitely would. But I would be a perfect one to talk you down, being older and, you know... Uh, a wisdom of the years, <laughs> all, that <kind> of <laughs> all of that stuff. I'm telling you're you, you're not making but me that, feel that's better. That's amazing. About it. But see, that's another thing. I feel like country stars, especially in the modern era, and maybe not back in the Hank Williams day, but country stars and rap stars, both big stoners. Willie Nelson, yeah. and Snoop Dogg are the two biggest stoners in the world, for sure. Outside of me and Woody Harrelson, and. Yeah. Um, they both are that they're both well. Willie's ninety now, so he's slowed yeah, he's down. Yeah, he's sharp a as a tack still yes. to some degree. I mean, it's it's an amazing. But thing. he doesn't smoke constantly like he he did all his life, doesn't he? No, not anymore. The biggest, the the most smoke I've ever seen come out of a human being <laughs> was Keith Richards. When I've done some shows with the Stones, and it's like. And Keith's like, come to the dressing room. And he comes to the dressing room, and like this big, it, it's a, he's smoking a football. You know, like this. Keith Richards? <laughs> yeah. What year is this? I don't know. Maybe, I don't want to get him in trouble. A while ago. Why would that get him? Keith Richards? Yeah, let's no, not let not the cat out trouble. of the bag that he mid, was a drug like user. <laughs> the teens, like 2015 probably. That's like the tamest thing he's ever done. Well, that's the thing is he, he, had, used to he have considers his... himself sober because it's now vodka and weed is all he does. I mean, this guy was so fucked up he had to like steal the blood of Swiss children. How old is Keith? Do you now? remember that? He oh, like yeah. he like went to Switzerland or something and put in children's blood. Actually, giving birth to the QAnon theory. <laughs> I, 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 now that I'm mentioning this, I think I'd like to do that myself. Switzerland is a wonderful place. And children have great blood. They do. I mean, that's the one good thing about them. That's why I had kids. We can take... <laughs> right, because their blood would fit in you. It totally perf- does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, they, I, every night I say, good night, put on your IV. <laughs> and that's how we do it. They in, say in, when, in you, uh, world. when they give young blood in the lab to old mice, they act young. And when they put old blood in young mice, they act old. It's a lot about the blood. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And you're not helping the QAnon theory right now. What's the QAnon theory about? Oh, the, the celebrities in Hollywood all. Oh, eat babies and drink, drink the their blood. blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really have to. Yeah, you just you're literally, right. they are going to put, this is going to be on right. websites in the dark well, web. I didn't say we, uh, I. Look, we. I can't. I, <laughs> you you we. do. We. Yeah, all of a sudden, you're in it. You know, they did say I was. They they have this thing about red shoes. Really? Yes. So that, Garrison Keillor is a. The, the Garrison Keillor. He always wears red shoes. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, he must be like the president then. They have a thing that uh, red shoes is like our way of signaling that we're the part of the pedophile cult, or the baby oh, no. eating cult. And they they have a, they found a picture of me. I did have a pair of, <laughs> I, I thought they were burnt. That's your fault, Bill. <laughs> Ever wearing red shoes. No. You are not a red, you can't pull off red shoes. I, I, I was 30 or whatever. Well, maybe That's, then you could. I, even then I couldn't, but, <laughs> but, but, I, but I'm saying I should be forgiven for being stupid. But I, first of all, I thought they were burgundy and they really were, but they were a little too reddish, it's true. Actually, they're, they, I don't know, I'd have to look at them again. I still have them. They were actually the first pair of shoes I ever bought, so it must go back to my 20s. I remember right. that it was the first pair of nice shoes I ever personally bought. And, and they were red. In this, you know, in pictures they can come out a different shade than it really is? Yeah, yeah, always. So, or maybe they doctored it, but they were reddish, and they looked red in the picture, and I remember there was a thing in the press for a little bit where they were saying, oh, we, we found out. So ever since then... Um, but I've, I've said a couple of times on the show, I did a whole bit where I said I was Q, because we don't know who Q is. 
and I knew a, a certain presenter. No, I saw those episodes. That's oh, really? Yeah. I, I I don't miss your show. Oh, that's great. Oh, I, I love that. that. Oh, um, so yeah, I said I was Q, and I know a certain percentage of them actually believe that because it's so wrong. It's right. You know, it's like who was the last person you would think would be Q? Yeah, and then it was. So some of them, I'm sure, are listening to this and say, oh, this isn't just a fake he's doing to make other people think he's not really Q, but we know it's a signal to us. Right. Uh, so red shoes yes, <clears throat> means you're one of those baby eaters. That's the, that's the signal. I'm throwing away my red shoes right now. Well, my red boots. I've got red cowboy boots. You're a rock star. You, you can wear anything. I don't know about that. Well, I do. I mean, you're up there. People are screaming. They're they're mouthing your words as you sing your songs to them. Um, you're playing guitars. You're all amped up. I mean, literally with amps. True. Um, and uh, hopefully not that scrawling thing that makes me think of the Deliverance Kid. <laughs> um, and then um, if you ever come see a show, I will. I will make him take the night off. Steel guitar player gets to watch from the front but, of house. But getting back to see, this is the problem with marijuana. You get off the track. Um, not that I had a track, but do, am I wrong that like a lot of guys like you, Keith Urban, um, you know, uh, Kid Rock, although he was never really country, he was like actually more rap. He definitely, like, he's, he's embedded himself in Nashville though, for sure. Right. But the, but the, uh, the country sound became more this pop sound that I like with like Brooks and Dunn. Like, yeah, which interestingly, like Brooks and Dunn's a great example of their Rolling Stones influence is very prevalent. Right. Like the, right. Uh, but they definitely have some of those instruments you dislike in their music. Yeah. <laughs> but um, hopefully you'll but listen more past in the, that. But more in the early stuff. Right. Like, so I'm saying as it as it went along, I felt like they right. they uh, <laughs> you know it's like. Hey, we're going to make our sixth album. Uh, who's going to tell uh, Clem that we won't need? <laughs> well, then you just don't tell Clem. If you have enough money, you pay Clem anyway, and you tell the front of house guy, mute him. Don't let, don't let anybody hear him. Well, I've got a few of those guys. Well. No, yeah. I, think, uh, I think you're right, though, that we, we certainly have adopted... Um, we're way closer to the Eagles these days. Exactly. Than we the are, Eagles. Than we are... Um, Hank Williams, but right. I, I lament some of that because some of what was going on in the old days was art and genius. And George Jones, I mean, to me, the voice he had and the things he could do vocally, um, yeah, I mean, but in the same sense, like we are now certainly inhabiting the lane where people would listen to the radio to hear a lyric and they're listening to us because they want to hear a lyric. A lyric and, and a lick. And a lick. And, you know, I'm always stealing from, because I grew up learning Clapton and learning Van Halen, and like we cover Hot for Teacher in the show. We do, like, just because it's fun to do, and as yeah. a band, we're able to. Not, not a lot of bands can even play that. My drummer's a beast. And so to be able to do that, to me, I love being able to say this is country too when we do it. And to be able to say, like they, somebody asked Waylon Jennings once, they said, what makes a song country? And he said, when I sing it. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, no kidding. When he sings it, it probably well, is. So why don't you have an accent? You have. You're. you're I'm from West Virginia. I, I, I know, think it's. I've been away long enough that a lot of it's gone. Um, from yeah, you just, don't. You don't. I can when I'm around uh, my friends in Tennessee. <laughs> sitting here with you, I, I I'm sort of a newscaster. Oh, I lose it. You're a chameleon. I'm definitely. I not. see that. Wait, <laughs> like people, yeah. I said that's another thing that probably happens in the rap community. You yeah, know? maybe. Yeah. Well, when you get too far, that's been what's been fun about this new album for me is uh, I, I named it Son of the Mountains because I'm from that place. And I just spent last weekend in West Virginia filming the photo shoot for the album cover and a couple of music videos. And uh, one of the songs is about the area I'm from, or two of them, several of them are, but one of them in particular is dealing with the opioid crisis. And so I had to go back and immerse myself in that. I did interviews with survivors and interviews with some, the local sheriff and the local uh, fire chief who is a, she was unbelievable, the stuff she, the stories she has of that. Because West Virginia was ground zero for this. 
So when you go back, you start to see, oh, okay, this is where I'm from again. You do remove yourself, and you ne- next thing you know, you have a big farm in Tennessee, and you've got success. You do? And <laughs> you know, well, it's like you're that. saying one does or you do. Well, I'm guessing uh, both. I do and one does. We're all <laughs> we're all in this accepted gated I, community I, I, I where they stick I the same. Don't apologize for it. No, I'm not. But you worked hard. Well, what I'm saying though is very similar to rap in that sense, in that you don't want to get above your raising, and you want to make sure that you can still realize that the best songs you wrote and the things that you are basically putting out for folks need to they it needs to tell the stories they want to hear and sometimes i'll write a song like celebrity where i am making fun of oh yeah of that you know and and talking about being what's a the celebrity. one where you say you're uh it's funny again very funny like that's what i always was attracted like uh with country music especially your stuff like i'm cute i'm much more interesting online I'm so much cooler online. I'm so much right. cooler online. Again, something that is such a great universal observation that, you know, <clears throat> I think people who are not famous can re- understand what we're talking about. For sure. And people who are famous totally relate to that. Yeah. Well, it's like in, writing that was fun because I had the idea and then we were trying to find the subtle things you would say online. My favorite verse of that is the second verse. <clears throat> I'll never forget, I was writing this with uh, Kelly Loveless and Chris Dubois, two, two writer, co-writers of mine. And I remember Chris sitting there and he was kind of quiet for a while. And I said, what are you thinking for the second verse? And he goes, where's the Rose Parade? I said, Pasadena. He said, is that LA? I said, yeah. He said, okay, cool. He's like, you know, in real life, the only time I've ever even been to L.A., because you're claiming you're from L.A. in the song. Right. Uh, it was when I got the chance in the marching band to play tuba in the Rose Parade. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's and it's a great like, line. I, I remember I, dying going, that's, that's... That's a great line. And his exact thing was, he said, I just remember the kid on the school bus... The other kids would bring their flute for band practice. They all picked the right instrument. The kid that picked tuba had to lug that damn tuba onto that school yeah. bus every day. And no, it that's was, a great line. There's no way to look cool playing the tuba. It's amazing how, you know, a line like that in a song. It's a million. It says. It well, I just. Shit. It's just like a. It's just like a Easter egg, you know. Well, it, that's a, what I like about country writing is when you get the line that's kind of a grenade, like sort of, yeah. uh, sort of like you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille, like Kenny Rogers song, in a bar in Toledo, he looked like a mountain. Uh, also, the gambler. Think about this: Don Schlitz writes the gambler for Kenny Kenny Rogers, yeah. right? Here is here's the opening line of the gambler on a on a warm. Summer's evening on a train bound for nowhere. I met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep. It's like there's a million. You're in it immediately. Oh yeah. God! It's like a script. Oh, I know. And that's when it's that's when it's art, and that's what you strive for is like hitting that note. Yeah. No, it's so, so funny. I used to have this argument with Clive Davis about lyrics, and you know, <laughs> he thought he knew something about music, but I was arguing with him. <laughs> But but from my personal taste, I would just say, Clive, lyrics are not that important. Like, I have to like the song. If I like the song, right. the lyrics, um, if they're great, it's a great extra. If they're not, I don't give a shit. Right. I mean, again, the Beatles wrote some really terrible lyrics. I guess so, but it's funny because... Because they were just hurried. Being that they built the house, and young. all of us are trying to build the same house, yeah, but, so they're not terrible anymore in that sense. Well... But I'm talking about like what's er- a terrible Beatle lyric? Love, to you? love me do. You know I love you. Yeah, but I'll they moved, always be true. They moved on from that. Of once course, but I'm just in. saying. Right. They oh, were sure. st- they were still very young when they were starting, and so some of this stuff and other stuff is genius, and yeah. some of it is just. Um, I had a young girlfriend once said, "I like the Beatles, but they're just all the lyrics are gobbledygook." And I was like, oh, first I was like offended. How, honey, how can you say that? And I thought about We're breaking I'm up. like, yeah, some of them are gobbledygook. A little, some of them are just, uh, you know, if you're stoned and you're thinking about them, like, you know, especially John Lennon liked to write like picture 
Like McCartney wrote more like, he, he, he loved characters. He would think of a character. Desmond has a barrow in the marketplace. Who, yes, exactly. Who's Desmond? He's got, right. you know, Lady Madonna. Yep. I'm gonna write, uh, Eleanor Rigby. It's just right. like, he'd pick a, and you know, George Harrison wrote about the Lord. <laughs> most, a lot. Almost all. Complete, a lot. Yes. And John would just, I feel like he was like, oh, sometimes he was inspired and sometimes it was just like, yeah, it was like his, that book he put out once. He loved wordplay. And, you know, I don't know exactly what um, an impression of his wife, which he made and donated to the National Trust, a soap impression of his wife. (laughs) What, like, I've been listening to it for 50 years. I don't know what it means. I don't care. It's, the song is great. Well, and that's, I I get in my own way that way a little bit, because I am so obsessed with the lyric being good that I think there's times when I'll agonize over the melody and trying to say exactly what I want to say with a melody that works. And what's fascinating for me is when you marry them both, and you can't. Of course. And and that's what I'm trying to do in the latest stuff, is like make sure that none of... That if I'm culling something out of this, that it's the right one, that it, it's the one that doesn't no, tip the box. No, it's always better when you have both. But right. if you don't have, uh, you know, there are lyrics that I just don't understand. They're just sound pictures like Crimson and Clover. Did you ever hear that one? Yeah, from yeah. This, you know, it's the the sound, the, what he... What, it, it's just a sound collage. It just sounds great. Yeah. And I don't know what the fuck it means. And I don't care. Crimson and Clover over and over. Yeah, sure. Whatever. It's sexy. I right. mean, the first line is, uh. <laughs> I mean, put that on next time you're trying to get laid. <laughs> really. I'm, I saw it in a movie. I saw Mila Kunis do it in a movie. She's in this movie with, I think, Clive Owen. It's, uh, it's, it wasn't a big movie, but it's kind of gritty. It's good. He's a convict anyway, gets with her. And it's like the first time they're about to fuck. And this is like in the 70s. And she gets up the old turntable and she puts the needle down. And first line of, you know, Crimson and Clover. I'm sure you could sing it better than I could. I don't need to try today. And, <laughs> you know, won't you come walking over? Uh, all that ah, uh, all that echoey stuff. Right, right. You know, and I'm waiting to show her. It's Some of it is, you can understand, it's very sexy. And then some of and then we go into Crimson and Clover and like, what the fuck? And then there are songs where I absolutely don't like the lyric. They're saying something. There's a new one like that, what but I love the song. Miley Cyrus, Flowers. Oh, you don't like the lyric of that? No. Why? Because... I like the lyric of that. I think she hit what we were talking about right there, which is a lyric that is... I love the lyric, and then also the melody. It is in your... You meet, no, it's in I my love head the now. record. Just the, I, do not the like the, I do not like the idea... Uh, I can love my I can love myself better than you can. Um, well, I don't think that's a good message. I'm going to argue on her behalf. I Here's understand why. it's a breakup album, yeah, so I know, I know where she's coming guy. from. It's not about. It's not about right, but still in principle. But of course, I have to relate to it. I have to hear <laughs> it. So when she says, uh, "I can send myself flowers," yeah, you can, but the whole point. Of flowers is if somebody is sending to you. Yes, you can. You can do a lot of things. You can huff lemon pledge, but it it's not a idea I want in my head. And and I don't think that it, it's very unromantic. And it's not true. No one can love you better. I mean, you you, you can't get the kind of love you need from another no, person. But better from, than that guy. Better than that's that. what she's saying. I understand that. I understand it on that level. We're turning around on this. No, no, no. I, I mean, it's both. We're both right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, but compared to, like, here's a song we could compare it to. Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond had a big hit about 1980. You Don't Buy Me Flowers. Correct. You Don't Bring Me Flowers. You Don't Bring, any, bring Me Flowers, that's right. Anymore. And it's, it's a songs. very sad, uh, affecting song uh, that every couple can relate to. About Universally when you, true. When you lose that thing, but she she wants someone to bring her flowers, okay? And this is like, fuck off, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I, I don't need your flowers. And 
it, it made me think of masturbation, which I am a big fan of and have been for many years. But compared to these kids today who, like, some, sometimes they can't even get into a relationship because they're so hooked on porn. And it's, porn is so good now, I, we have to admit. that they, they don't even want to bother with a girlfriend. And I must say, of as much as I love masturbation and as much as it has done for me, I never once did it and thought, this is better. <laughs> This is well, it's, it's different and it's great to have it, but I it, it never made me say, oh, I don't have to have sex because I have this. No, this is a good stopgap, but it's not better. And and no one can love you better than someone else. No one can make you feel. You can't make yourself feel the way another person can feel by, I guess, corroborating what you. Oh, I, I thought I was a pretty good guy, and this person fucking loves me. Right, but you know, and back to what you're saying, where, where we're both right. That was the best advice I ever got from um, a, a co-writer and also a guy that ended up becoming a, a business partner in our publishing company. I would go in with a song and play him the song and say, what do you think? He's like, I love it. That second verse doesn't make any sense. And I would say, no, you're wrong. And he's like, I can't be wrong. I'm not, I can't be right. wrong. It's an opinion. I can't be wrong. He's exactly. like, I don't like it. And I'm like, well, you're wrong. And he's like, you can't say that. And would make me get better at that. And that was the best, that's the, that's the advice I give Nashville aspiring writers is like, listen guys, do yourself a favor. When somebody doesn't like something you did, they're probably being honest with you. They're, pro they're not doing it to be a jerk. They're right. just being honest. And it's like, you will become a better songwriter but if they you may not, just listen. They also may not be right. They may not. But at the same time, if somebody though says, I hate that, because there's an awful lot of things that we know yeah. Oh, yeah. in the art world, not just music, but lots of things where everyone thought it was a piece of shit or everyone, no one believed in it. And one person who was the artist yeah. believed in it and pushed it through. And then we look back and go, oh, wow. Well, don't listen to the industry on that. Listen to your fans. If your fans love something, they're right. But you don't always know what the fans are going to love because sometimes you have to lead them. For I mean, sure. And that's, that's been my, that's been my nobody, whole thing in country music lately is that, is trying to find ways to say things and, and get them to come with me, you know? And, and in the sense that it's like, guys, it's like, I know you're setting your ways on some of these things, but don't go the wrong direction on Ukraine. Don't go the wrong direction on, in terms of freedom, in terms of the things that we all should have. And that's, that's what this, this new record is, is largely looking at to me, are these themes that it's like trying to get them, it's like a song of mine called American Saturday Night, which yeah. celebrates all of these people that make America what it is. And it's like, and what's fun is on any Saturday night in America, in the middle of the heartland, is this. Yeah, man, it's like, it's like yeah, I know, I'm celebrating our diversity, and they are too. And so they're willing to do it if you take them there musically. But that's the thing is you've got to find a way to give them that thing that, you, that they like. But don't always let somebody, if, if they don't like something, you know, deter you because I'm telling you, you can think of a lot of yeah. songs. You, you know uh, the Beach Boys' Good Vibrations? Totally. Okay. We're talking about 1965. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing I was probably nine years old, hearing it on the beach. Yeah, like I wasn't into music yet, but I, the radio was on. I was aware, and like you can see why. I mean, looking back, I could see why nobody wanted to put that out. Right. That was not. Didn't sound. I mean, it had the Beach Boys harmonies and stuff, but it wasn't like you know, uh, Syrup City. Here we come. You know. <laughs> right. They had put out some. I mean, he was getting much more sophisticated, and that has some weird uh, sonic flourishes in there. I don't even know what the instruments are. Uh, woo, you know, it yeah. starts at, and it, and it changes tempos, and it's just one of those songs that it's a little symphony in a record. We have the Bohemian Rhapsody. For sure. Is another one. I'm sure they didn't want to put that. What? There's opera in the middle of it and all this right. kind of stuff, but somebody believes in it, and and the audience doesn't know they're going to like that until right. you put it out. For sure. And and I think it's it's Sort of like, I, I think you probably find this in stand-up. There are jokes you know work, and they're going to work because you know they work. And, and you're gonna, oh, you sure. believe in that enough, and you stand there and do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You better. You've you got to lean in. We have to lean into that. Right. And, it, and the audience smells the fear. 
They of know. Of course. And they do in, in recorded music, too. Like, they know when you are, like, yeah, I think when you're putting your toe in the water and going, I don't know, what do you think? They know. But I, I still think it's easier for a musician, and I've seen plenty of times, well, maybe not plenty of times, but I've seen enough times, like, I'm thinking specifically about charity events. Yeah. Where... It's a big charity event, which are, they're always the worst audience in the world for everybody. Usually. I always think, you people, charity should begin here, okay? <laughs> can we, can we have some stage. charity yeah, right. for me? Right. And okay, so I've seen bands yeah. like performing at these places where I was probably performing also. And I could tell they fucking hated it. First of all, it's not their crowd. Yeah. That's the same thing why I don't like it. It's not my specific crowd. Some right. people there who like you and some people. I saw the Eagles once. This is about 2007 or eight. Mm -hmm. It was right after their comeback album came out, which was awesome. Hell what? Freezes Over. Right. No, 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 no. That was 94 in 2007. Oh, they, right, right. They didn't the make one a new did. record. It was yes, called the, Long uh, Road Out of Long Eden. Long Road Out of Eden. It's a right. double album. It's right. fantastic. It yeah, could it's fit great. right well into their other catalog. Um, so they played, I think, the first song, and the, the whole room is just talking. And, oh. I, and I just wanted to stand up and shout, this is the fucking Eagles. I watched Glenn Fry. Tell, tell, I went to the forum. Uh, Joe, had me, Joe Walsh had me go as a guest, and I went and watched from front of house at the forum. I got to see them in the forum the last time that they did a, Intact with, with Glenn. Right. And, uh, which was when they reopened the forum, which is an amazing venue now. And I watched Glenn do his thing where he went off on that audience. Oh, man, because he didn't like what they were doing. Like, it was oh, like watching he, a stand-up comedian just, like, tell him off. Like, but it people, was their show? Oh, yeah. And he still didn't like the audience? He didn't like what they were doing. He didn't what like were that they, they were, they were, it was interesting. It was too bad because it was like they were standing, he, he told them, you should stand on the up-tempos and sit on the ballads. You don't stand on the ballads. And I was like, in the back, and Joe was like, uh, yeah, he shouldn't have done that. But he, it was a bad night. He just did that. But it didn't well, matter. I mean, the audience. I mean, that's a compliment that even on the ballads, they're standing. Yeah. It's not an insult. I know. It, but it was one of those things oh, where God. some of these, that generation had their own ideas about what audiences should do. And maybe that's what their audiences did forever. I never heard anyone have that idea. Yeah, about what audience should do. It was do. new to me, too. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think we need to defend this at all. I think that's just pure nuts. I don't know why. Um, but he was an ornery guy. Yeah. I remember after uh, watching the great documentary on them, and I was talking about it with a friend, and I said, you know, Glenn wasn't just the co-writer and uh, the great harmonist, but he was also the general manager of the Eagles. It was like a sports team, and he kept trading yeah. players. It's like... Yeah, you know what? I think I should. Uh, I think <laughs> Sorry, you're, we're going to have to send you down. You were going to send. <laughs> we're going to send you down to Poker. Yeah, because yeah, right. you know what? <laughs> Bernie Ledden, in the first oh, incarnation yeah. of the, played a little bit of that stuff I don't like. Oh right, yeah, the Ben. Yeah, I know. And I got. And well, I'm going to change my. If you're ever at a show, I'm going to have to change my whole damn set list. <laughs> not your whole set list. I'll be like, no, we're not doing that one tonight. Can't do that one. Sorry, no, that's heavy. That's heavy on the pedal steel. We're going to have to. I can't I wait till Randall, my pedal steel player. I don't sees think it's it. the pedal steel. I bet it I, is. I, I, <laughs> really. <laughs> I bet it is. Is that really? Is that the the ultimate country <laughs> instrument? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? I'm surprised at that. It sounded. might be that. It's, if it's not the banjo, it's that. No. It's not I, the fiddle. No, I always thought it was a bird you had trained. <laughs> yeah, it's basically that. Now, you could certainly stick a bird, you could stick a parakeet over here and get the same effect. Mic him up. We could save some money on that. <coughs> well, I would love to come see you sometime. Let's I would, do I would, it. Yeah. When are you going to play Nashville again? Do you know? No, but I'm, uh, let's see, I remember I was there in August, I think it was almost two years ago. It's, it's got to be next year because I don't think it's this year. Maybe it was last year. Yeah, I, I played every two years, the Ryman. The Ryman's the best. The Ryman's the best. It's an, it's an interesting thing, that little preserved, and actually, you know, that's, that's the thing about the Ryman is, is the history of that place all the way back to what it began as, as a church where they basically had the Confederate soldiers 
after the war and the fact that it's come that far to, to, to do what it does and to host people like Aretha Franklin playing it eventually. Right. And, 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 yes, and we have to do that. We have to bury the ghosts of the past. I remember when we did a, I thought it was a pretty funny editorial one week, it was about five week, five years ago. And um, who was it? Oh, Ryan Reynolds got married uh, on a, they found out after the fact that they got married on, uh, in the South on someplace that used to be a plantation. Yeah. So there had to be, you know, as always in America, a cringing apology about how horrible we are because we, and of course, he's fucking from Canada. <laughs> Why do we go through this charade? Like, what the fuck does Ryan Reynolds have to do with the Confederacy? And first of all, every inch of the South was a plantation. I mean, well, that's, it's for fuck's sake. That was the thing for me, like moving from West Virginia to, to Tennessee in the 90s when I, when I moved there to do this. Um, and eventually buying a farm, and, and I, I don't know what happened on my farm before I was there. There's no record of it, but it probably wasn't good. And it's like, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, and, and it's like in that sense, but I'm from a state, like I, I've had this conversation with a lot of West Virginians, like we're the state that said no, and we exist because we said, yeah, we're going to leave. Really? Yeah, we were Virginia. We cut we Oh, cut that's off. right. And, and so there aren't. You know, I didn't. I didn't grow up around that. I didn't grow up around statues that need to be torn down, or, or any of the, uh, you know, any of that. And you, so when I moved to Tennessee, it was really there was a lot of that culture shock a little bit. You, you know, it'd be a really good remake, Saturday Night Fever, but instead of, in this urban setting where he is from, you know, he's from Brooklyn, famously. You know, you've seen Saturday Night Fever, John Travolta. Oh, yeah. You know. He's Tony Manero from Brooklyn, and, yeah. and his dream is to cross that river, even though, and that's many people's dreams in the boroughs of New York. Right. You know, to cross the river to Manhattan, where the beautiful people are, and to make it there. Yeah. And you and can the, redo the, that, like where you, you're from the small town, but you want to get to like Mount Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I remember on Andy Griffith's show, they're always like, you know, they oh. lived in Mayberry, but if you if you really like wanted Long, to go shopping, you go get Chinese in Mount Pilot. You have Mount Chinese P food and, and go to a movie in Mount or, Pilot, or even yeah. Raleigh. I mean, if Raleigh. you made it to Raleigh, Raleigh, Raleigh so, was called the Concrete Jungle in Andy Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you could do the country version of that. It'd be Saturday Night Low Grade Fever. Yeah. It'd be like that. Um, you That's actually a good idea. It actually is a good idea. I come up with so many good ideas on Club Random. Yes, so, I saw, what was the one you had for, you had one for somebody. Richard yes, Drives. I did. I did. I had a, so many great ideas. I remember ideas. thinking, yes. yeah, you should make that. Right. I, I can spot a mile away who should be a detective on CBS. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> that, to me, that's always like when it's over. Not over, but like. You know, when, when they come to you for detective work on CBS, it means you were a star, a movie star. You were, and now, you know, it's not horrible. It's, it's probably uh, the, the great. Pay, the pay great. is great. I can't it's think of a work. better fate. <laughs> I can't. Than starring Brad Paisley as detective. Really? Detective Lawrence. You would do that? No. No. You never <laughs> had any, you didn't have any interest in acting? Like, yeah. No. That's I, so smart. You know what? I, I've said no to a lot of things. Like, they offered me a few things here and there, and I was like, what's it do? And they're like, no, yeah, it's, it's three months in Oklahoma. That, and, and I'm like, no, have, no, I'm not some doing Some of them it. have actually done quite well. Well, I, I the mean, right, Tim you McGraw, know what I would do? Oh, Tim's great. Tim is great at it, and he's worked at it. You That's know who, the thing. You, you know who, I have an actress wife. I, I know what it takes. Right. And I don't think for a second I'm an actor. I know she's an actor. She married me. But it's like, it's like anything. <laughs> no, seriously. She's like, no, I, there's times when it's like, I love you too. And I'm like, good job. Because I know you don't right now. In the case of that, though, I've never wanted to do, that's for other people. I mean, the one thing I would do, and I've said this forever, is a Will Ferrell movie or something like that. Like wow. that, that's fun. But that's not, yeah. that's not the same as, as uh, something no. with De Niro. I mean, it's, but, you, no. know, you go and do something with Will and, you, and it's like I'm playing... Whatever you can cast me as whatever you want, and I would. But do a that lot of them, the, the the down. If you're genuinely a down home country boy, it plays so well on camera. Right. Like, and they don't have to do a hell of a lot of acting because it's like a natural charm. 
You know who turned in an amazing acting performance in the 70s? Mac Davis. Mac. Well, you know what's funny? I bu- North so I bought, Dallas 40. Have you ever seen? That was my first concert. I was five. And I begged oh, wow. my parents to take me to see Mac Davis at the Ohio State Fair. So wow. they drive me a couple of hours to the wow. Ohio State Fair to hear Hard to Be Humble and, <laughs> and I Believe in Music and all of it. So I go to see Mac Davis. And I finally got to meet him later. He lived out here. And what, what's funny is yesterday, I go to a, a, this comic book memorabilia shop with my kids, and I see a Mac Davis album, and I had to buy it because, just to hang it on the wall, it's called Stop and Smell the Roses is the name of the album. And he's in the album is him with a cigarette <laughs> and a cowboy hat smoking a cigarette. Like literally half of a cigarette's gone. And the album's called Stop and Smell the Roses. And I'm like, what art director? said, you know what sells this? A Marlboro in your fingers. It's the, it's the craziest album cover I've ever seen. Oh, they just didn't care about it. I literally the, bought the, that yesterday. But stuff, Mac was a good actor. In North Dallas, Florida, oh, he's, he's fantastic. And he's, what an icon he was at the time. So to conclude our time together, and I hope we do it again. Either I'd love to do it again, anytime. Would you... Uh, duet with me on a Mac Davis song that I just thought of. What's speaking that? of him, baby, baby, don't get hooked on. Baby, baby, don't, <laughs> don't get, get hooked, hooked on, on me. me. Yeah. Oh my God. Because <laughs> I'll just yes, and I'll set you free. free. <laughs> I, there's a great line in that where he goes, and it's warm where you're touching me. <laughs> I remember the, those songs back then. The, what Bill Anderson, the great country writer, and my buddy, he used to call those skin songs. It was always about had to get some mention of touch and skin and your subtle skin but and your. I felt like that was so blatant in an era where they censored anything. Anything. Like, and it's warm where you're touching me. It just. Well, there's a million of those back then in country music. I mean, you know. Uh, uh, if I said you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me? Well, things like that. It was that, amazing. Right. And how that got, got past censors. It did. How about Honky Tonk Badonka Donk by our that friend got Trace the Atkins? Too. All right, I'll say, I'm going to call him tonight or uh, tomorrow because oh, yeah. we all have to get together. You love him, right? I do. He's great. Thank you. Club. That was so much fun. So I'm much so fun. glad I got to know you. Thank you for uh, having me. No. I appreciate it. Oh,